Hello and welcome back to the Comic Lyric Podcast, the podcast that does deep dives into the best, worst, and middest of comic books, graphic novels, and sometimes mangas. I'm your host, the soon-to-be-known-as Comic Stan, and with me, as always, is my voracious co-host, it's Jamie. Oh, veracity. So, voracious that one. I don't know if you were going to take umbrage with it or not, and I was going to prepare the fact that I try and relate them to the comic we're doing this yeah. week, and it almost was... The word was almost predatory. I'm really glad you didn't go <laughs> with predatory. A little, little something <laughs> in my mind went, uh, He's not going to like that. That might be taken the wrong way. So this might be confused for like a Rogan Sphere bro science kind yeah. of podcast. I mean, I've been in my time described as a voracious reader. I don't think I am as much anymore, but I'll go with voracious. And in a similar way, the one of the subjects, at least of the comic we're talking about this week, could be described as a voracious uh, hunter, murderer, killer. And then you got the bloody predator. So, should we jump straight into it? I don't Go know. I mean, we can like say hi, meander. Yeah, we can. We should we should we take a little bit of a path to get there? Because there's something I really wanted to raise. Now, you think this is a Dow Atomic, but I think it's brilliant. Okay, I'm gonna set the timer. Okay, how long? I'm have not I got? saying a timer. <laughs> I'll cut out if we. I'll I'll trim it to an acceptable time if we if we waffle. So, in a recent episode, um. We discussed the fact that there was only a very finite amount of people. When you say recent, I think it was a while ago, but it was a re- more recent short. Yeah, so recently it was drawn to my attention that we had talked about the fact that Disney just doesn't hire people with criminal records very often. Specifically, it, almost exclusively not, except yeah. for two uh, exceptions, which but, is Robert Downey Jr. and Tim Allen. What is fascinating is that Disney drives people to crime. <laughs> and what's even sadder, it's a specific kind of Disney actor that does. It's the child actors, It's the child man. actors, yeah. So there's a couple that appear on this list, and it's a rough list that I got from Google. I've not researched any of this properly. It would be weird if we did something on the podcast with researching, you know? But one of them, Shia LaBeouf. Oh, that's not surprising. <laughs> so he's an odd dude, but I didn't have him pegged as a straight-up criminal. I mean, he's definitely done things. I know there was a thing where he was at some theatre performance, and Alan Cumming was in the, the the performance, and I think he got like drunk and belligerent or something. And then he went on like a talk show later, and he was like, I was just enamoured with the performance of Alan Cumming. He's a sexy man. And it was like, yeah, that's like the joke response like <laughs> I'd give if I'd done something really shitty and had to try and talk my way out of it and like smooth things over, yeah. Particularly on a late night couch. Like there's there's an impetus to be fairly jovial, isn't there? I mean, the whole late night scene in America is uh but let's not go down that rabbit hole just yet. I love that so, Keanu Reeves just doesn't. Just, like Keanu Reeves just gives really beautiful earnest answers and it's so fantastic. He's that one him and Tom Hanks, I think, are those ones that like if something came out about them really negative, people would be like actually distraught. You Do you know? remember that time somebody asked him if he was a Buddhist and he said, No, I haven't yet taken refuge in the Dharma? Like, what I, a, I did not note when that happened, but I'll take your word for it. What a beautiful sentence. And then the time when somebody asked him what he thinks happens when you die, and he said, well, I know the people that love me will miss me. Oh, man, that's like, you know. He's mastered the art of like, I'm not going to say anything controversial one way or the other. I'm just going to state some plain facts that are beautiful. I mean, the thing with it is, yeah, he, the implied question is what happens to you when you die? And I think he answered the more important question. And I think that's just really beautiful. But yeah, that's enough of me. I just thought we could, you know, I didn't know how much time we'd be able to ring out of talking about the tragic ends of people who work for Disney as children. Yeah, yeah. And I've got one thing I'm just going to try and find here. So one of the Disney kids that I think gets overlooked, people forget he was, was uh, Ryan Gosling. Yeah, right. Who's done really well for himself. Nothing big, looks very well adjusted as far as we can tell. So kind of maybe got out by the skin of his teeth of that 
deranged Disney club. But there was a thing recently. Deranged Disney club. I mean, God knows what's going on there. But <laughs> so I saw this thing recently, and then you talking about it kind of spurred me to try yeah. and find it quickly. So there was a there was some someone captioned this and put on Reddit recently, and it was Ryan Gosling talking about his childhood. And there's a bit of stuff that gets a bit serious, but there's a couple points that people were like. Ryan Gosling was a weird kid, or might have been a weird kid. And there's a point in an interview where he's talking about like seeing Rambo as a kid, and he goes, Gosling said he not just seen Rambo, he thought he was Rambo as a kid. Describing what happened next, he said, I took knives to school and I started throwing them around the playground and I got <laughs> suspended. So my parents said I couldn't watch R-rated movies anymore. <laughs> Recounting the incident, he added, and my parents were terrified. They thought, we can't let him watch movies that are too violent. But I just love the idea of a young Ryan Gosling on a children's playground just yeeting the knives at the- <laughs> I mean, well, see, this is the thing. His parents are blaming the movies. I blame his parents. Why has your child got that open access to knives in the home? God forbid he watches Rambo. He's gonna throw he's gonna throw all his knives around. <laughs> <laughs> the knives we sent him to school with. I think like- the f- the funniest part about that is years later, he would do those sketches with Will Ferrell on Late Night. Uh, yeah. The Knife Guys. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I wonder where he got the inspiration for that. I think Will Ferrell's probably like, I've got this idea for a sketch. It's called Knife Guys. Like, I'm in. Like, whatever it is, I'm in. Like, let's do it. <laughs> oh, delightful. So I think that's our, that's, we've taken a meander down yeah. uh, and now we Catch can, Up Road. And now we can stroll down Topic Lane. The, yes, and the topic is, you've seen from the title this week, we are covering Predator versus Wolverine. Ugh, now, I admit that I picked this, what influenced this pick for this week, it was a little bit, for one thing, it just come out, so I thought, fresh, hot, let's, you know, cover it <laughs> while it's, it's hot, it's still steaming, don't touch it. It's too, Wolver- you know. Wolverine and Predator can't be described as hot, they're like the most dated properties going. I mean, but Wolverine is ageless, like well, his, by yeah, his human power. Quite literally. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I did think when I was editing the last episode, I thought, you know, we, we've recommended like almost every comic we've done for the past couple months. So I, and that, you've been I, letting me pick things. No, I picked a couple as well. I mean, I picked last week's. So, oh, so you did. Yeah, well done. And I think w- all it came down to was, I think we were, I was picking, you were picking ones you wanted. I was picking ones I thought you would also appreciate. And it got to me that I was like, maybe we're not going to exclude actually explicitly try and pick something bad but i thought maybe let's go for something that's quite different so like last week we did (laughs) we did a poignant in-depth character study kind of story which was really beautiful and now we're doing wolverine versus predator (laughs) and i thought let's jump to some dumb action fun you know let's get to some some stabbing and explosions and all that and i've got thoughts i've got thoughts yeah the overwhelming sense i have here is that there's not a lot of depth ryan i mean depth when you go predator versus wolverine we're not going for the depth like i mean i resent that because there's capacity for depth in anything and i think you know even even stuff that shouldn't be deep and poignant like labyrinth it's full of jim henson puppets but it's actually quite even though it's very camp and very silly it reaches points where it's actually quite a poignant film and it has a lot to say about life and the way we approach life um so i'm not saying that a wolverine predator crossover can't be poignant saying that this one isn't yeah (laughs) i I go more of the route of and this might be not conflicting but just kind of different philosophies i think we have i go more of a what is the point of the text what is the point of the content like is it if it's meant to be deep and it isn't then it's failed on that you know that goal 
But for something like this, I think it is meant to be at least like entertaining. I mean, something that's meant to be deep and kind of fall short of that ends up just being self-indulgent. I, you know, I had this thought literally just today, and I think it's it's worth a tangent because I put I could put it in the topic list on the episode description Wait, as well. There we go. But I was thinking, and this actually relates quite a lot. I was thinking about the room, and right? For anyone who doesn't know, the room. How how do you not know about the room at this oh, point? Hi, Mark. The room is. <laughs> It's known as the Citizen Kane of bad movies. The room, the room is fabulous. Exactly. The room is so good. But I was thinking about it. I think it was. I think it was. Um, what's his name? Ebert, the Ebert and Siskel, the yeah, movie yeah. reviewers. I think they put it well. That there's plenty of bad movies and and just generally bad fiction, bad content, bad all kinds of you know art, whatever. But what's so special about the room? There's loads of bad movies. But what's so special is it manages to get every aspect of it horrifically wrong, and yet there's still this earnest sense of trying to really make a a good thing. And not just a good thing, a deep, beautiful thing. So the thing with the room is, there was a house that I used to hang out in that a few of my friends rented. I think you even came there with me once. Possibly. It was known as Cushy Towers. I mean, I don't, I don't remember asking if I was at Cushy Towers, but no. And it was, and and a couple of my friends lived there. And the way we we would initiate newcomers is while we were pre-drinking there, we would either sit and watch Mulholland Drive or The Room. Like Mulholland Drive or The Room were always on, and they and they had like Mulholland Drive's a horrible way to start a night out. <laughs> <laughs> the Room, I get, It's a fantastic film. And so we would be playing. Do you remember Knee Dog? No, it's a fencing game. Okay. Like stick figures fencing. It had a really great core gameplay loop, really great two player game. And so we would have one screen where people were playing Knee Dog. There was often some like football game happening for Laz Laz Lads. Yep. And then the room or Mulholland Drive right in the middle of this big living room that we we're all drinking in. And I remember thinking, I've seen the room now quite a few times over a handful of years. And every time I come back to it, it's always fantastic. It's always terrible, but it's always a different film. <laughs> yeah, you notice different things every time. Yeah, there's there's a level of richness mm. in the room where it it holds up to multiple rewatches, and it's totally unintentional <laughs> for the for the wrong reasons. I have the same feeling about Ed Wood's work. Do you know Edward? I've heard of him. I haven't seen any of his work, but I've heard uh, so, there was a Johnny Depp film about yeah, him. Yeah, Tim Burton yes. did a biopic of, of, of him. Course. <laughs> of course, it was Tim Burton. Tim- was Helena Bonham Carter <laughs> in it as well? I don't know that she was made. She probably is. Um, but so Edward was a he was a like director. Yeah. Um, and he was a really interesting bloke. He uh was a cross dressed in the 1950s. Obviously, really not very acceptable in America. Um, he was a veteran. He'd been in the RAF. He'd been in the RAF. He'd been in the Air Force. Yeah. And he made these abysmal films. Like he only ever shot any scene once. And so there's, you know, the film is essentially a collection of all of his films are essentially a collection of outtakes. Right. But any time I end up watching like Plan Nine from Outer Space or Glenn and Glenda or one of his films. I always come away from it thinking that was bloody fantastic. Mm. Like I, li- I like a B movie, and I and I and have you ever seen Trolls two? No, but I've seen like the big C's. So I said, "Oh no, they're eating us." I've so seen that. Trolls two is so interesting because it originally wasn't a Trolls film. It, mm. it when they wrote it, it wasn't a sequel to Trolls, and then they managed to get the rights at some point in production to name it Trolls two. And so they're in a place called Nilbog, which is goblin backwards. And they were originally in the original script, they were dealing with goblins. 
And so at some point in the movie, they just stop calling them goblins and start calling them trolls <laughs> because that's the point at which they got the nod. Do you know what I mean? And it's like a three-hour film, and it's god-awful, but you kind of have to see Trolls 2. Yeah. Like, Trolls 2 is, you know, it's... It's, it's up seminal, there with the worst films of all time. Seminal B-movie. Which is, again, that's an achievement in itself that to make a bad film. And like, again, while I was re- referencing uh, Eben Siskel, was that they were pointing out, you can't just intentionally make a bad film and have it received the same way, because it doesn't work like mm. that. There has to be, even in ex- what is inherent in artistic expression is you can still see the effort and the aim and the goals. I think it's why, like, in critical review of stuff, you kind of go, well, like I like I said earlier, you can see what they were going for, but mm. they didn't execute it well. So in a bad film, to be truly great bad film, it has they really had to have earnestly tried to make something great, and it just fumbled every single way. And yeah. The Room is so great because it's... It, they fumbled it on every conceivable level. Even the ADR is horrible. And of all, like, you've got everything else wrong. And you feel like you can sense he's still trying to do the <laughs> ADR well. And it still came out bad. There's still scenes where he's, like, in the scene moving or somewhere. And the ADR just plays over. And it's so obvious that he's not saying it. Which is the one goal <laughs> of ADR is to put in a line to make someone... make the audience think he said it in, yeah. the, in the scene have you seen the james franco biopic about it yeah i saw it it's a, i've not seen it it's a good film it's an interesting take on it i kind of begrudge anything james franco now because he's a bit of a creep scandal noted yeah um <laughs> but yeah he's he they've got a good take on it where there is a bit of they show the earnestness in making the film as well they also <laughs> explore like the mystery of the guy who made it i can't remember his name off the top of my head now but the guy who made the, the room is as much a mystery himself as the actual production of the room was. And so as we're on a tangent, there's one last piece of admin that I'd like to go through. Obviously, the historical correspondent hasn't had a lot to do with us recently. Right. Because we haven't done much historical stuff, so we haven't really needed his input. Not since 1602. Not since 1602. The comic, not the year. But he has had a really big life event recently, and so he'll know. But just congratulations to the historical correspondent. Just like to get that on air. Just as, you know, kind of partly as a thank you for all of the input that he's had on the podcast and how much he's helped us um, stay accurate. Um, So congratulations to him. And, you know, maybe he maybe at some point when he's on the podcast, because that is inevitably at this point <laughs> going to happen, isn't it? Um, You know, we'll find out what it is. But congratulations to him. Congratulations from the comic literate boys. With boys. A Z. Boys with a Z. Boys. So, so Wolverine v Predator. Yep. I'll, starting with the arting. Well, uh, let me get some of the details out first. And so a little bit of the blurb. Or do you want to do you want to tell us what a bit of the story was? I mean, of so, any story to break down, like, I feel this one's one of the easier ones. So, in the ner- early 19th century, Wolverine is running with a pre-X-Men band of mutants. Yes. And he does some murdering, and it turns out he's wiping out the Predators. Um, And so he ends up in a lifelong feud with Predator. And we see him at multiple different points in his life leading up to the present day of him fighting Predator. Yeah. Pretty much, yeah. I see. I find it very interesting that your uh, blurb essentially it starts off focusing on like one particular issue and then expands to like the overall story. Whereas, yeah. whereas I I would have drawn into like the overall story rather than like bother focusing on the one issue because it, it, only because that first part is like a a small oh it's one out of the four issues essentially, isn't it? I would say I mean exactly like the second half of what you said. I'd say it's spanning wolverine's long life and it's this predator who keeps coming back they keep having interactions and it's 
a battle to see who's the best and blah blah blah. I've got the the proper one from the Marvel website actually. I this think time. mine's better. Well, we'll. I mean, let me read this one and we'll see. This one has a bit more like selling the comic kind of thing, whereas yours is like matter of factly. Here's what happens, which is what I asked for. This is them trying to sell it to people. Uh, well, we're not here to sell it. No, we're not here to sell it. But we're here this, to be matter of fact, Ryan. We are matter of fact. We are hard. We are hardened journalists. But this is us being like, and here's a comment from who, <laughs> who we're about to talk to. This is their input or what they think they've made. Okay. So it's the bloodthirsty saga fans have been waiting for. <laughs> no, they haven't. That's that's a maybe a stretch. Uh, this September, the Predator will be unleashed on the Marvel Universe for the very first time as he viciously hunts Wolverine across decades of Marvel comic history in Predator vs. Wolverine. And then just to get across who di- who was involved, uh, written by Benjamin Percy, who has written some Wolverine comics before that I have enjoyed. Um, and then, a, interestingly enough, a series of different writers for different time periods, which we were about to get into with the arting. Uh, but they include Greg Land, Andrea DeVito, uh, Ken Lashley, and Kai Sama. So starting there, a lot of different artists for this four-issue comic, which yeah. does denote a little bit of like effort they put into, you know, they could have just had the one artist doing all the time periods, but they did put a little bit of effort into making each time period feel unique to itself. Yeah, and they did. Like every what the one thing that I took away from it is that each of the four issues did kind of have a distinct art style. I thought it was interesting that they also stopped and started at like lapping over time periods. Yeah, so totally. It, it wasn't just issue one, this time period, issue two, this time. It was like you had the beginning part, present day in each one, and then you had the time period they'd gone to, and then a bit of the next one. So yeah. it was almost a little bit of like, see what's gonna happen in the next issue in a kind of more contextual way. I, I mean, I really, there was one moment that really confused me um, because there's a, there's a quiet implication that the Predator was the person who made his skeleton adamantium. Not adamantium, because so there's a part later where the, the Predator breaks in while he's, ha- when he's already had it done. Right, I okay. think the Predator is a bit like, hmm, you've got metal bones now. Like, and, I- there, and then they, there's also this meander in Japan. Yeah, so that's <laughs> just a, there in a kimono with a katana at one point. That's a big part of the Wolverine lore. So, oh, that, is it? That's a thing. That's a thing for for Marvel fans to be like, oh, this was when he was in Japan because that's a big part of his history. Right. Okay. But I can again, like the reason I don't give you any of this before we get into it, it's interesting to you a non-reader. You just go, yeah, they were just in Japan for some reason. Like it does stick out in that way if you don't have that extra information. Yeah, and then there's also just that that. There are points where the art style really jumps back to that kind of late 90s X-Men cartoon art style. Do you think that was to time into like the comics at the time? Like, Yeah, what- no, I, I think so. But it was really jarring. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, because in, in one issue, you go from this very classic stuff to this very, in my opinion, overworked modern art style and i yeah and i think that again that modern that overworked part was the modern day and that part uh the first part you mentioned was like 90s prime classic x-men oh i 100 percent understand what yeah. they were aiming for i just felt it was a bit jarring yeah but do you find it worked at least as like a kind of almost like the art coinciding like the narrative device it was certainly a really clear visual indicator yeah, it was cer- yeah, it was certainly a really clear visual indicator that we were skipping time periods. Yeah. I don't know if I liked it as a creative choice. That's fair enough. And again, you can only judge on I think per like 
per section of art. Mm. I had an issue with the first transition. So from the present day, present day stuff, I was like, this is standard Marvel, modern stuff. I'm used to it. Like, let's go. And then the first flashback, and this kind of ties into story, which we'll get into in a bit, but it goes to like earliest in Wolverine's life in this part. And the art suddenly becomes very plain and mm. kind of boring. Mm. Um, it's all white, snowy landscape. So yeah. like you, on the one hand, I was like, well, it's plain landscape colors. So what can you do? But then I'm like, but I've seen the better artists who have done like shadow and light and like made it interesting and different, different kinds of white and gray. And so I feel like that's not an excuse in itself. But what really did it for me was in that first part, when you see the predator in the first flashback, they are so far less detailed than the modern-day well, one. And his character model changes a lot. Like, there are points where he's in this, like, bear skeleton. Um, and obviously, it's a nod towards something that happens in the story. But it just, I don't know, it all just feels really disjointed to me. This is the thing. I think the transitions were so abrupt that it often left me feeling a bit flat. Yeah, I know what you mean. <sighs> It's again like the ch the change in the art. Once I kind of got like the connections to the 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 time periods, it made a lot more sense. The fact that the first one, I don't think that first one was connected to the time because Wolverine's past is it's not rooted in any kind of real history of the publication. Yeah, it's always a thing that they re went back to later. So oversimplifying the art for that, I think maybe was an attempt to saying like this is way before. There's less mutant stuff and superhero stuff and it's a bit more plain i mm. think that's maybe what they were trying to get across with the art and on some level i think it's cool that they had this big over big crossover property they could have just churned something out and they actually onboarded a bunch of artists and really got them to work and define these different art styles i just don't know how much i liked it as a narrative device i feel like more either they shouldn't have done it or they could have made more of it yeah it could i i think i know what you mean where it should have been even more drastically different yeah like would that have helped like you it was very very obviously like this is a new time period because you almost had to like read it a bit and you kind of gauge like oh the art's a bit different here yeah and then you kind of work out whereas i think as you're saying maybe it should have been even more yeah. different per time period yeah i think it would have been more effective i mean we've talked mm. we, we talked about this a lot remember when we talked we did um how it's made Yes, or the, what it is. Wasn't what it, it is, yeah. what it is. That really like avant-garde art piece. Um, if you're not familiar with it, go back, have a little listen to the episode. It's a good episode, if I do say so myself. Yeah. Um, there, there were these really distinct art changes. Hmm. And it, re like, it signaled really clearly that you are going from this person's observations on life as an adult to their biography as a child, right? Yeah. And, you know, that... Where where the art where the art changes were subtle, it was really evocative of what was happening in the wider story. And when they were abrupt, they were really abrupt. I feel like here, because they're just going between different kind of classic Marvel comic book styles, the changes aren't big enough to be really I mean, they're abrupt. They're not pow they're not big enough to be impactful. Yeah. But they're I also not subtle enough to be kind of interesting it almost comes across a bit like a fear to make them too different yeah. to may interrupt the flow mm. but then when the narrative device is i remember back when this happened like hundreds of years ago at one point 
then that sh- it should be quite different and it, and they, they should get more in line with the modern style as you get closer to the present day but i think there was a fear of like let's not make it too different and confuse people like that's mm. that's pure speculation on my part but that's what i feel like i got from that which art did you enjoy the most um i think i enjoyed i would say the 90s x classic x-men one but that's because the art again it was very close to the 90s cartoon yeah and the the costumes were yeah. that style as well so that i got i think i got very nostalgic for i did enjoy the modern day uh more so once i was away from it for a bit yeah because then i saw that the detail that goes into the the modern day one there's bits in the modern day where wolverine's got like chunks missing from him yeah and the detail makes that far more impactful whereas like for example in the first one there's injuries but it's just like a bit of blood and that's it whereas in the modern day you see like the outline of the chunk that's missing from his arm and stuff like that interestingly i found a lot of the stuff from the modern day a little bit overworked and I think that's more like a Marvel house style modern like thing. Isn't yeah, it? and and what's interesting, I mean, I think any anybody who listens to this podcast regularly would know that I'm not massively enamoured by the art style that we see in like modern Marvel and modern DC. Modern DC has kind of kicked up a notch recently. Well, but this really hammered home to me the fact that at least modern Marvel's trying to do something interesting. Hmm. I mean, we can talk. I mean, we can talk about the differences at some point, and I think that would be really interesting. It's probably not a topic for today. I think the problem with that <laughs> is it might be too big a topic because yeah. there's because the art it, it because there's unique artists on each book. There is a house style they're kind of adhering adhering to, but there is still these subtle differences across them. Um, there's particular ones where people break out of the house style quite a bit, which is interesting as well. But yeah, I. I think my biggest issue with the modern day was just how grey all the colours were in that. Like, Yeah, it's really unsaturated, isn't it? Yeah, and I think that lost a bit of impact. I think it was trying to go for dark and gritty. Mm. But the problem is, like, the Predator films especially are very big and bombastic. And, like, you look, the first yeah. Predator is a very vivid green in most of it because they're in the jungle in the daylight. Yes. Uh, so it's only the second one which gets really grey because it's in, like, the kind of... Uh, New York City, like yeah. mostly at nighttime, very grey, very urban, that kind of colour. But the Predator as a series has been all over the place. There's also these really great moments where Logan is clashing with the Predator. So there's one here. Um, this is an issue for kind of halfway through where he's in Japan. Yep. And then again, just at the start of that big final fight, there's this panel. And again, they're they're doing the horizontal thirds thing mostly here. Yeah. With some really interesting interruptions to that that I'll talk about in a minute. But both of those panels should have been splash panels for me. Yeah, there was a not a lack of splash panels, but they, they were used kind of weirdly. Yeah, and, and they were often interrupted. So yeah. the, the big splash panels were interrupted. So the splash panels, you get kind of two thirds and then a bottom third with like maybe two or three panels in it. They did some really interesting stuff with again something that looks like it could have been a splash panel but was really interrupted with these kind of quite heterodox interestingly shaped panels that are outlined in red kind of too busy for the page yeah and 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 this is the thing one of the things that i think they did really nail here and it is quite interesting is that the stuff that's set in the modern day has a very heterodox relationship with panel layout Mm. so they're not using a classic thirds thing they're not using quarters they're not doing the old 90s marvel thing of breaking the page up a lot and we've seen that before in wolverine like old man logan had some re was laid out in a really fascinating way i remember a particular that it was like a splash panel 
but it was a stripe of DNA showing two different fights over two different... That So that was not the original Old Man Logan. That was in the when Old Man Logan was brought to the modern day. Yeah, you know the one I'm talking yes, about, right? yeah. Creative use of the panels. Yeah, and again, we're seeing a lot of that here, but then it jumps, and when they're showing you the 90s stuff, it is laid out like an old 90s comic, mm. and I thought, actually, that did more of the legwork in showing me that the art style had changed than the art. Yeah, yeah. Like, I think... I think them changing the art style up was one thing, but actually changing up the way it was laid out was quite interesting. So if we're talking about panel layout, I've got some specific notes. Mm. Uh, I've got mostly bad. I'll start with one good one. One good one is they're all very contextual based like panel stuff. One was I enjoyed, there was one creative use of it and it's where it establishes both Wolverine and the Predator. I think in the first flashback, both healing or the way they heal, yeah, yeah, yeah. and I, the way they have them simultaneously, side by side, and you've got Wolverine is literally just waiting for his power to heal him fully, and the Predator has got the, um, the, he's got like a little med kit, essentially, alien med kit, and he's like doing some stuff, and he's applying it to his wounds and all that, and it, and then it ends with, Wolverine's like trying to pull an arrow out of him or something, and it ends with both of them screaming at the same time, because the the healing is hurting them. And it's it's their lived-in experience is both like pain regardless of their additional healing. They totally nicked that though. Oh yeah, that's a that's a trope in itself, isn't it? Yeah. Rick and what are you thinking of? Absolutely, yeah. Pickle and they, Rick. And they nicked it from something else before as well. So yeah, yeah, yeah. it's definitely a common trope. Really well used in that Pickle Rick episode though. Yes. And especially here, because again, Predator is known for healing himself after fights and the and Wolverine is his whole thing is healing. For anyone who's not seen Rick and Morty, there's an episode in like season three where he turns himself into a pickle. Funniest shit I've ever seen. It's not the best episode, <laughs> in my opinion. Like, I thought I thought it was a pretty good one. It's it's not it's more not for bad. the ending. Yeah, the the ending is like the the action stuff that aggrandizes Rick is just so so. The ending where it really humanizes him, I think, is fascinating. But there's a moment where Rick is a pickle, and there's a chunk taken out of him, and so he pours some vinegar on the wound, and then staples some pickle slices onto his side, whilst the guy he's fighting is putting gunpowder in a wound and setting fire to it to cauterize it. Yeah. And I'm like, that is objectively really funny. Slightly like, off topic. My favorite part from that is where he has to, as a pickle, he has to parkour up a door to get a door handle. And while he's here, he's going, get that parkour, that parkour, <laughs> get that parkour. <laughs> I don't know why, but I guess <laughs> But so one of my, probably my favorite part of the panel was that dual healing stuff. Yeah. Worn trope already, but was appropriate to use in this instance. A lot of my issues with the panel layout specifically to do with the Predator's cloaking device or yeah. his the way he cloaks and goes invisible, there's so many instances where they use two panels to show him cloaked and then uncloaked. Yeah. So the point of it is he's invisible, now he's visible. They do this quite a few times when yeah. they really only needed to do it once. Yeah. But the biggest, most egregious thing to me of it is when he's cloaked, and this is a there's a staple of the Predator franchise, like you see in every single film, you can see them still, but they are like a jellyfish effect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when the one panel is showing that, like an outline jellyfish effect, and you can you you can see where they are, but you can also get why they're hard to see. You don't need to then show them in the immediate next panel, not cloaked, because we can see. Like it, I it know was where point, he is. Yeah, it was pointless, but they use up entire not just small panels, big panels to yeah. be like. Now he's invisible. Now you can see him. It's like you didn't need to do that. And they're wasting time, like wasting page space mm. for, for these things. And then you've got like a bit sooner. So specifically, there's one part that happens. And just before they are walking like the woods, the snowy woods, they're about to get to a cabin. 
and in the frame, you see the predator on a branch behind yeah. them. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. he is stalking them. That's a good panel. It yeah. looks good. Very soon after that, then you have, and now he's invisible, and now you can see him. And it's like, you didn't need to do that. Like, you could have taken that both of those out, because he is stalking them, invisible, but with the jellyfish effect behind them and it looks great and then they do like a just in case you didn't realize like it was pointless it's it's an attempt at visual storytelling isn't it yes but and and again you can see it was gratuitous you know, yes and i and i understand the urge to do it because you're a lot because the predator doesn't speak you're relying on his power set to get a lot of the storytelling from his perspective across. Yeah. And so actually just making the most out of the one very obvious power he has makes a lot of sense here. But I, yeah, no, I mean, I didn't really think too much about it when I was reading it myself, but now that you mention it, I can see it. I can understand what you're saying. What I find interesting, I think, is when you were looking at panel layout, you were looking at like the flow of reading the story. Yeah. For me, I was thinking about more the context of like what's happening and like what information and exposition they were trying to get across and how, again, how needless it was at points. There's one part where just after that example I just mentioned, they're in the cabin, someone's about to leave the cabin, they get shot in the head, mm. and then the predator literally, the next panel is the predator standing in the doorway, just standing there. He almost like is T-posing or something. Yeah. And again, that felt like a wasted opportunity. Like, we know the predator is here. Like, yeah. If anything, I think you should have had Logan reacting to the shot. Yeah, that would have been more impactful. Then the predator would be like killing someone and be like, I'm here now. Yeah. Like he literally he's presenting himself almost. So yeah, that panel usage I had a lot of issues with. Um, I think that's pretty much that's it for the art and the panel layout. Unless you've got anything else, I mean, we could talk about the art all day, but there's a lot of little bits of the art, which I think, to be fair, is a credit to it. Like if you enjoy this kind of stuff, you're going to get that from it at least. It's definitely some of the better stuff that I've seen. Yeah, um, it's not the best. It was was it would you at least class as interesting yeah i mean there's very little jank mm. is one thing one thing is that there's very little jank logan often often looked quite good even though we're seeing him at lots of different points in his life and his facial features change a lot yeah i suppose that's one thing is that logan's facial features change a lot there's no consistent logan even though i get that we're seeing him age mm. and we're seeing him through lots of different time periods and lots of different art styles it would have been nice for there to be a bit more consistency yeah but again, that's, you know, that's that's lots of different people drawing the same character, isn't it? You're always going to get that. I made a positive note about that guy who gets shot of leaving the cabin. Mm. What, it's actually done quite funny. Like, he's literally standing there like, ha, suckers, and then just blast <laughs> of laser yeah, over his yeah. head. And I think at the time, I was like, oh, that that's funny how they've done, like, the same panel. Like, again, what I was criticizing, they've done it in a funny way. I think now that was unintentional. Mm. I think that wasn't meant to be funny. I think that was meant to be like a, oh, my God, he's just got shot. But the way he's, he's standing in exactly the same way, and at one point he's smug, and the next point he hasn't got a head, yeah. was, was unintentionally hilarious to me. So, story-wise, before we get into it, if you haven't read it, if you're interested, I think it's entertaining if you're into predator and wolverine you'll get something out of it doesn't get my recommendation that's fair enough and again like i said earlier we hadn't done something for a while <laughs> you hadn't recommended so it's a bit of a change of pace yeah um the ending there's no real big surprises so if you haven't read it i think you can listen to us talk about the story and the ending's not, quite flaccid yeah you're not gonna i think be blown away by any reveals i had the ending of this spoil for me again are you spoiled lightly because like it was a predictable <laughs> ending but literally there's a youtube channel that like one of the ones i'm subscribed to from years and years ago where they like basically play out the stories mm. of comics this is way back when i wasn't reading them so that was my kind of stepping my foot into like what happens in comics and then find these youtube videos um their youtube video the 
thumbnail and the title just gives away the ending. So if you don't want to know it, still, here's your chance. Three, two, one. But the, <laughs> the video and the thumbnail is literally, Wolverine finally kills the Predator. Yeah, and I'm yeah, like, exactly. I'm like, I know he did. This is, this is like a wrestling match thing. It's like, I knew what the ending was going to be because of the whole story. Yeah. But the fact that it's, you've spoiled it for me just takes a little bit <laughs> from me. Yeah, no, I didn't need to have that ending spoiled for me to know what the ending was going to be, just in pure terms of pattern recognition. But I still felt an indignant rage from them spoiling <laughs> it for me, yeah? Fair enough, It was mate. the principle of the matter. I'll let you have like, that. That's the thing. So story-wise, I think this is probably much more appreciated by someone like me who knows the predator law knows the wolverine law and it's it's mainly kind of references to both those things yeah i mean there were there were certain story beats that i didn't get so like when he was running with a pre-x-men unit that, so that is uh the the organization is called weapon x they weapon are x. just called team x in the comic right so i i'm, I'm familiar with weapon x because of the wolverine films yes but none of the same roster that no. I was used to seeing. Except for Sabretooth. Yeah. Which is his brother? Brother in the film. That was like a weird retcon. They're not brothers in the comics. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. They knew they met in Weapon X and became like lifelong enemies, basically. Right. But the dude who likes st- who can control electricity with his mind wasn't there. I, th- no. I always thought he was my favorite. I'm trying to think who that was. Was um was that the guy played by the guy from Black Eyed Peas? Yeah. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't even know if he was a comic book character or not. He just they had a famous actor they, and they were like, eh. We'll write something. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know what? Like it was very obvious from that film they did not care about the source material. And then the whole thing with him learning to be a samurai in Japan was completely new to me. So that part is an inter- that's an interesting part of Wolverine's history of like he spent some time in Japan. He it it developed his character in a way where he learned more of like the honorable traits of the Wolverine character. Yeah. And it, he went from like kind of primitive, wild, violent beast who still had a heart of gold to like actually developing like a moral code. Right. And that okay. kind of stuff. So it was interesting for me to see him at, in that phase. Yeah. Um, the most interesting part for me is when they get into like the proper Weapon X stuff when he is uh, basically getting the metal put onto his skeleton. And right. So that part was so interesting for me because Predator, no, like I think they did kind of interrupt their their own tropes for well, a bit, thing. yeah. So normally it's Wolverine's doing something. Predator's also there. They fight, and yeah. this Predator is just coming back time, time again because he can't quite finish the job. Yeah. And that Wolverine becomes like his his white whale in yeah. a way, his Moby Dick. Um, at one point, so with the Weapon X factory plan wherever the hell laboratory whatever he finds wolverine unconscious and yeah. he's just had the metal added to metal added to him but he's also unconscious because he's being like proper mind controlled at this yeah. point so seeing the predator see the unconscious body wolverine made me go well what's he gonna do here because the whole point again this is a reference that if you know from predator the whole point is the hunt and yeah. the fight in the challenge which is also why i thought it was very odd then the first flashback predator is hunting like deer and yeah. like w- like little animals that i've never seen in the predator films i right. think that's a bit weird i'm super unfamiliar with predator so the whole point of predator like they they're a alien civilization built on um challenging hunts and kills and fights and taking trophies and using them to like show off later um, Which is why he wears the bear skeleton. So that was, I thought, was a very interesting plot point. So the reason I think he was wearing the bear skeleton, uh, so it's a bear skull yeah, specifically, yeah, yeah. is because he lost his helmet. And I think 
what makes it very specific to the predator civilization and law is if he had if it was any other alien type like intelligent species you lose a bit of armor you get another one when you get back the predator like civilization and uh culture if you lose something that's an embarrassment that's a that's a proper dishonorable like right uh, so i think the bear skull was a punishment and also a thing to spur them to get that very mandalorian isn't it yeah a little bit yeah um yeah definitely like more hunting based like trophy kills based whereas man yeah i could see the similarities especially in the armor and stuff yeah but so in this i think he comes back with a bear skull with an added like you know like it was like when you were a kid at school it's like you lost your shoes like we're buying some shit ones get your good ones back because i'm not buying your new ones yeah yeah yeah, this is it you gotta wear these plimsolls for the next few weeks but in this especially it's like the predators are so high on themselves like just quick question ryan how often did you lose your shoes as a child I mean, I got the one good pair, then it was all shit pairs afterwards. So <laughs> once you lose the first good ones, you don't worry about losing the shit ones. But how many... I've never lost a pair of shoes, Ryan. I've lost many things in my life. Even I've not lost any shoes. I mean, you lose one, and then it's like, why keep the other one, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so you lost one shoe as a child, is what you're telling me. This is what I'm hearing. I may or may not have lost some variation of shoes or socks. But anyway... <laughs> So I thought it was a good plot point that they actually put thought into it where he's like coming back not only to claim the kill that he never got, but he's also like, I lost my bloody helmet when I was last in. All the other players laughed at me when I come yeah, back because yeah, yeah. they, they they wouldn't even laugh. They'd be like proper. My mum made me wear a bear skull for years. Yeah. They'd be like for decades. <laughs> they'd be like proper shamed yeah. for having done that. So I thought like I enjoyed the little parts like that. But when he's standing over the unconscious Wolverine, he like takes a bit of the skin. Oh, he opens him up and it's like, oh, you've got. Bloody... He looks at his ribs, doesn't yeah. he? And then again, out of character, maybe this predator is like a shit predator. Like mm. he's like going against their rules. He uses like acid to, and kills. He probably knew that he wouldn't kill him. So he literally and this is great art, I thought, for this point as well. He puts like acid in Wolverine's um not unconscious because he wakes up also the panel where he's got the um he's like waking up to seeing the predator yeah that like one panel of his face i thought was really good because it was like yeah. proper disconcerting and then suddenly there's no skin left on his face exactly yeah. like put put like pushes him back puts the ass in his skull melts his entire head away except for the metal skull left drags the body away so i guess yeah in that instance he knew he would come back yeah so that wasn't like a sneaky lethal kill that was like smart tactics to like capture him alive kind of thing so yeah i enjoyed that part because that shook up the um trope that they had established Mm. already so again there's a little bit of thought put into a little bit of interesting stuff put into it which i thought was good yeah on some level it kind of disrupts the existing law of both doesn't it yeah and what i especially enjoyed from that as well again the deep law reference to wolverine and they really show this quite obviously they recover wolverine who jumped out of the ship mid space flight crash landed back to earth and is basically just a skeleton but he's gonna regrow because i guess bone marrow maybe like that's probably the reason (laughs) because bone marrow probably yeah famously famously i mean there is marrow and bone we know that much is there marrow left in his bones i mean there must be because it heals yeah i suppose i love any time by the way i see pre-adamantium oh the bone claws yeah the yeah. bone claws are great bone claws are like proper metal wolverine which yeah. is ironic because there's no metal <laughs> yeah like my favorite iteration of wolverine from the films was him pre-adamantium where he had the where 
him and his brother, who I've discovered is not his brother. You lied to me, Sony. <laughs> yeah. um, Fox. Pardon, Fox. Fox, yeah. You know that they, they show them going through all these different wars and Victor, his brother, Victor, becomes Victor aggressive. Creed, yep. Becomes aggressive, you know, progressively more aggressive. Yes. And they're running into battle and his bone claws come out and then Victor's claws come out and he starts running on all fours. Dog was, running. Yeah, I always <laughs> thought that was a really cool scene. And so just anytime I get to see Wolverine with bone claws, I'm very excited. That that opening scene was by far the best part of that whole origin that origins yeah like the going through the different wars and it just like transitions seamlessly between each fight and they're just like going hard in each time period Mm. and then the rest of the film happens and it's a big letdown from then on like the opening credits stop and it's like oh it's shit now (laughs) (laughs) but yeah um the what was such a good reference was when he the predator loses his helmet Mm. he gets picked up by the the doctor who's dealing with all and then it shows very obviously, very on the nose, the helmet and then the helmet that gets put on Wolverine. Yeah. So now again, that I'm guessing is something that didn't register with you at all. Mm. So that helmet, that's like classic. The most classic Wolverine art is him breaking out of Weapon X. So he's like, and he's got that thing on his head and he's killing people and he's just rampaging and he breaks out of the lab and he just right. runs into the snow. Okay. So that helmet specifically is something they put on him to basically make him a, a killing machine. Right. So the helmet was like, dulled all his senses and made him like controllable, like literally a a robot, basically. Oh. And they would put him into a fit of rampage. He would kill whoever he was nearby and then they would, you know, turn him off and collect him up, scoop him up. So the the that one yes yeah. So the inferred lore is that it's predator technology that developed the thing that turned Wolverine into a killing puppet for a while. Oh, okay. So yeah, I mean, I didn't, I wasn't aware of any no. of that. And yeah, again, one of those things that this is a comic for fans of the existing franchises. Yeah, yeah, and 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 that's kind of cool. That's kind of interesting, isn't it? Yeah, I did find the dialogue overall. I think there's something in the way <laughs> very overexpositional. Oh, so overworked, yeah. so overworked. And there's all these little yellow, um, you know, text boxes, which is just Logan retro- retroactively talking about what's going on. And you know how I feel about that. Trope. Yeah, I, as soon as I saw that post, like past tense yeah in a monologue i was like that's not gonna fly well with jamie no it's not good (laughs) i find a lot of the actual spoken dialogue there was a lot of references to like obviously we're not gonna remember it because our minds get wiped every time you know i know do you remember well obviously you don't because our minds get wiped so you wouldn't remember how our minds keep getting wiped every time and that's why we don't remember him but i feel like i know him like that yeah and again you know you have to do a certain element of this with wolverine because there's always with wolverine an element of him not remembering certain aspects of his past right yeah like you know it's a core part of the character that somebody has wiped his memory at some point isn't it yeah the point at which that happens i think kind of tells us which kind of wolverine we're gonna see the fact that we're seeing a lot of the weapon x era where apparently they were just doing it to him regularly yeah they like as an audience anybody with even a passing interest in the x-men or wolverine would know this yeah and this is the kind of worst thing is they put in these references that only people who know are gonna know and then they go yeah because he keeps getting his mind wiped it's like you you already are catering to people who know this yeah so i thought that was a bit weird uh, I did like the specific art of the severed head mm. in uh, issue two. The uh, the open wound on the neck. I was like, that's very detailed and very cool. Mm. I found overall issue two, if you don't know, was basically Predator 1. 
like almost not shot for shot, oh. but like Predator One is the Arnie in the jungle yeah, fighting yeah, yeah. Predator. There's a team of like mercenaries, and they're all right. like vests, big arms. Like it's that it's where the meme comes from of the two arms that are like shaking and their muscles are bulging. Right. So it's it it really defied uh, conventions at the time because yeah, those yeah. would be like the action heroes, and they all get killed off one by one. And the fact that they recreate it in this issue, I thought, was like a very big knowing homage yeah. to that first one because he's in the jungle and you can't quite see him it's not a great homage because i feel like either you reference it explicitly or i don't know maybe you don't bother yeah. like i feel like they could have done a lot i think they left a lot on the table that they could have referenced the predator film and maybe to be fair maybe they were so subtle they went over my head that's yeah. always a possibility but it just seemed like they were like oh it's like predator one like oh how is that was in the jungle mm. like <clears throat> that's it but again, they're all mercenaries, like the film as well. So I appreciate. I mean, that I kind homage. of like there being an element of homage to the Predator. I've, have there been Predator comics? So there have been Predator comics. They recently started some uh, for Marvel, so like exclusive, like Predator only title. And I did read a bit of them, and I thought they were a bit lacking. The uh, right, story okay. was a bit weird, and it was just it was kind of boring. Like I didn't really care about the characters or anything in it. Um, beforehand, uh, it was a fox owned um so the reason they're doing now is because disney bought fox yeah so they've got all these properties that they're looking Mm. to do something with previously it was a fox owned uh, title that they uh you know had the rights and they could do whatever they want with they there was various third party comics of like aliens and predator what's especially interesting is the best crossover predator comic is probably batman versus predator it's really good. Like, I really enjoy that. Probably a lot more than this one. So. Batman versus Predator. It's really good, yeah. It's it's generally, like, really Ugh, well executed. sad, Ryan. <laughs> well, now we're going to have to do it one day. No, no, never. No more Predator crossovers. The next Predator bit of franchise that comes out. <laughs> oh, for fuck's sake. We're doing Batman v Predator. No. I think you'll enjoy it. I think... No. <laughs> I've not got the best track record with that kind of stuff. Superhero no. shenanigans of recommending them. But. Any point that you're like, you're going to like the superhero comic, I unequivocally come out of it going, Ryan, there are so many problems. <laughs> yeah. But we're, yeah, we're definitely going to do that one at some point. There's a sequel to the most recent Predator film was really good. It was called Prey right really good set in like native american times and them fighting a predator really good and okay doing, that's quite interesting and I mean, that's a, allegorically quite yeah they had to do a good it? one because the one before that which was just called predator was i didn't even see it but was absolutely bashed by reviews like, right okay horrible film the best predator film for anyone who cares predators starring adrian brody great predator film has um a Car- big cast Lawrence Fishburne oh. um oh, what's his name the guy who played Machete the Mexican guy oh that's gonna bug me hang on Danny Trejo Danny Trejo Danny Trejo he's great in it as well and uh Topher Grace oh we love Topher Grace yeah he's great in it as well I I'm gonna I'll make you watch Predators at some point oh, Topher Grace was so good in that one Black Mirror episode he was in I didn't like that episode. No, but I liked him in it. He was good at it, yeah, playing like a, a feckless Zuckerberg kind of character. Yeah, but who had also kind of was off trying to find enlightenment. Yeah. Like, trying to separate himself from his creation a little bit. He really nailed the, jeez, uh, man, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> it's just a rich so guy. good. Like, so good. And Topher Grace is one of those that's kind of fallen out of favour a bit, No, he's he? back in favour now. Is he? What happened? So... Big um, tangent from the comic. Uh, so I'll warn you now, you can skip it a few minutes. Maybe we'll be done by then. Maybe not. But there was a recent thing with um, that 70s show actor, Danny Masterson. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. Did you hear about uh, Ashton and Myla? Mila, Mila. Mila Kunis. No. 
So when he was getting before sentencing, the judge will, uh, as common in these kind of cases, will go to the uh, accused or the the sentenced by that point, uh, convicted by that point, their friends and family and say, hey, if you want to write some letters to the judge and they can like to for a character reference oh did they give good character references they gave glowing character references after he'd been convicted no and ashton kutchner whose life's work has been helping victims of sexual assault yep wow that's fascinating isn't it and their whole thing was they didn't deny what happened but they did say um they were like here's what he's done for us and they their whole thing was like Kutcher was like, if it wasn't for Danny, then I probably would have fallen into the drug scene in like Hollywood and TV wow. and stuff. But the problem there is the reason that Danny was so anti-drugs and was keeping his these other actor friends out of drugs was because of Scientology. Because that was a tool they used to recruit people. They was like, hey, drugs are bad. Why don't you join the church? Like Church of Scientology. So yeah, basically it got those letters got out to the public when <laughs> Ashton and Mila were like, we were assured these wouldn't be made public. Was Toe for Grace is quite negative then? Toe for Grace didn't do one because he doesn't, he's not in touch with those people anymore. Uh, like he, they, once he left that 70s show, he was like, I'm done with you all. Like I'm out. And then I think at the time people like, that Toe a bit of an asshole. He just abandoned all the, that 70s show people and seems a bit of an asshole. And then now it's like, yeah, he left like a, a shitty situation of like culty influence and that kind of stuff like no wonder he got out yeah so the fact that he didn't do anything people are like it recontextualized doing like, nothing here is the best thing you could do exactly yeah, and people are like actually Topher's pretty decent actually oh so. wow that all kicked off yeah. do you know what i've rewatched the ranch since the danny masterson <laughs> stuff happened and like it definitely ruined it for me i'm not surprised and i loved the ranch i thought the ranch was like Really, like shitty TV to the max, but also really soulful. Yeah, and I really, I like, I really liked it when I first saw it, and so yeah, having that all happen kind of spoiled it for me, as That's it does the- with scandals and yeah. I mean, it's not the worst thing to come out of the Danny Masterson scandal, is it? So- no, obviously not. <laughs> so back to the comic. Yeah, and back I, to the comic. And I think going straight to the ending. Um, cause, oh, piss week, man. Yeah, I didn't like the ending. Um, so the one little bit I did like, I thought was a smart thing on the whole Predator law was at one point. Wolverine, he's talking about how the mud covers him up from the thermal vision. Yeah. Also, the heat vision from the Predator, I did like that art. Yeah. Very, very easy, explicit, like, here's what's happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I but, mean, you didn't need to know that Predator had thermal vision to know what was happening there, did you? And also, that is a staple of the franchise. Yeah, so. totally. Because you, in the films, you see through his eyes and you see the thermal vision, don't you? Yes. Yeah. And a great part of Predator 2 where they're like, we've hidden in a freezer so he can't see us because of his thermal vision. And then for the first time in the franchise, by the second, near the end of the second film, from his perspective, you see wipe new new types of vision. He's like, check this one, check this one, check uh, this one. Oh, they're all over there. <laughs> also, if they hid in a freezer because of their body heat, like their internal body temperature would still give out a like. If anything, if, if you, you were in, a, in the freezer, yeah. But this was like from like it was a room to hide in, so uh, the room itself was all cold. But I think if you went into the room with thermal vision, then then you'd see them, obviously. But yeah, I think it was the cold room shielded them from the outside. Right, okay. They'd still have a thermal signature, though. They Probably. would still have a thermal That's signature. Sci-fi, sci-fi shenanigans. Yeah, they would still definitely, you're like a human being, even a human being going through the early stages of hypothermia would still have a thermal signature. But again, we don't know how what the range is on these heat visions. <laughs> we need to find this out, right? This is very important stuff. There's probably some science YouTubers already bloody covered it. Probably, maybe. Yeah, absolutely. So that a big thing in the first Predator film is Arnie working out. 
that yeah. the, he's invisible in the mud because at this point they don't have the other visions or at least they don't have access to them so he covers himself in mud he's invisible predator has to take off his uh his helmet and that's that's the big hole you are one ugly motherfucker and all that what this does allow us to do is place wolverine in a power ranking alongside arnold schwarzenegger yeah, which well, i think is fantastic and he outsmarts even that because yeah. he and and the reader to an extent because he's talking about the mud making him invisible because it's cold and you immediately if you know you immediately jump to predator one and yeah. that whole thing and then there's a body at shape in mud <laughs> with one eye looking out and you go oh okay then he's the predators found him now yeah predator slash of the mud he ain't there <laughs> he made a mud body double yeah. and took out one of his eyeballs and put it in the in the mud body a great a great decoy that's very metal yeah that is I, very metal isn't it and i thought it's a smart thing i didn't see it coming yeah and then when totally. it slashed through i was like ah that, i i liked being tricked in that moment i was yeah, like yeah, yes yeah. well done and then we get to the bad part of the ending where wolverine's talking about this plan he has and it turns out the plan is and again deep predator reference law predators are famously really really sore losers yeah if they think they're gonna lose they have a bomb on their wrist that yeah. they set a timer and then they blow up like it's like a nuke like it's a really fucking wide area of just yeah just destruction yeah and wolverine seems to know this which and i this was a little plot hole which i i kind of head cannoned yeah i think in an appropriate way rogue in the one of the, the 90s flashback touches the predator oh right okay. i think and again poor use of panel layout and page spacing they should have devoted some panels just a little bit to rogue being like oh i've got all this alien information yeah. in my head now. and that's how logan in the monologue knows all this stuff about Predator and what point they're which they should have made that explicit isn't it exactly the one thing i did like from that ending passage is when predator pushes him into the water Logan was like, water's one of my weaknesses. Yeah. And then you cover me in adamantium and it makes it even worse. And yeah. I was like, he's heavy. oh, I'd never considered the fact that Wolverine probably doesn't float. Yeah, he's really heavy. There's, yeah. There's multiple instances where he's just been chucked in water and he's like, well, I'm stuck now. Yeah. But then very smart how he gets out of that. He in The Predator's coming towards him. He's trapped under a rock. I don't know how he got under the rock. That might be a, loot, a, a plot hole. Yeah. But he use, he cuts himself and uses the blood in the water as like a smoke screen. Yeah. So the blood literally like a curtain of blood that hides everything. No, I really liked that passage. Yeah. I thought that passage was really great. And then it kind of just goes from that because that's in the final fight, isn't it? Not the final. That's like in one of the, the beginning modern parts because oh, he gets away from that yeah, and sorry. then he sets up the whole mud thing. Yeah. But yeah, in the very end, it turns out Wolverine's plan is I'm going to make him detonate a bomb and I'm going to survive it because I'm Wolverine. Yeah. Like that was the the plan, the ultimate plan. I definitely would have preferred Wolverine like actually beating the Predator. He, sh yeah. he should have done what they did in Predator 2, which was he tries to start the bomb and the guy played by Danny, Danny Glover, yeah, he um, has a sword or a knife or something and he sees the, the timer going off and the predator's like hanging by a, a thing they're hanging off a ledge and he sets the bomb and the guy's like nope and cuts his arm off <laughs> just separates him from the bomb and luckily that disarmed it yeah in both ways but Wait, uh, pun, pun that, was good. that was a good pun well done again completely unintentional i just i'm dripping with great puns best pun but um so yeah i i wish in hindsight i think it would have been a lot more appropriate if Wolver if he'd tried to do the bomb and wolverine had literally slashed off his arm because mm. that's what wolverine does like yeah. time and time again so yeah i was a bit deflated by the ending 
I was like, that was the plan. It's like, well, if we blow both of us up, I'll probably survive, actually. <laughs> and to be fair, he survived falling out of a bloody spaceship. So what yeah. can I say? But yeah, it was a bit of a downer ending. But yeah, so I think in general, I, th- I would say this is kind of mid. Yes, I, um, I definitely place it mid. Yeah, which isn't a bad thing. Like, I think mm. it's a serviceable action story. Um, I don't think there's a lot of subtext here. No. So there's not, as, as a, you know... The subtext the, is Moby Dick. Yeah, yeah. And not even some deep. level, but... We really don't see the emotional side of that and the human side of that. This isn't a very human story. This is very much a surface level action story. I think I would have enjoyed Predator obsessing over Wolverine a bit more. Yeah, totally. But we don't really see into the Predator's mindset. At but all. they could have done it in other ways. They could have had him on the ship and he's like re-watching footage of Wolverine they captured mid-fight yeah. or something. And he's like looking and studying it and trying to work out. Because then... To be fair, that then leads into him breaking into the Weapon X lab and finding him unconscious. And he was he was learning about him in there. Like he dug into his body to be like, there's something new here. Ooh, metal bones. Like that could have fed into that. Mm. So that it almost feels like there is a subtext that's just missing entire parts yeah. that could have made it a lot richer. But no, it's perfect. Like it's a serviceable fun story. Yeah. I just don't think there's a lot of depth there. I got a bit of fun from it, but I think because I was expecting so much and the lore references and everything, I think I was expecting a bit more in parts so i would definitely suggest that this would be a fun one to read on the other screen while you're working in a call center yeah sure yeah. um which is a way that you and i have used comics to entertain ourselves yep. in the past not naming the employer but uh <laughs> if you know you know yeah yeah um so should i take us out yeah i think uh i think that's been all we can do so if you'd like to join us next week we're going to be talking about slam dunk which is a sports manga title written and drawn by hanamachi sakaguri um really highly pronunciation thank you um really highly regarded uh writer and artist in manga um more recently he then went from this which is a basketball story to do a wheelchair basketball comic and a comic book about folkloric samurai muasashi um really really great manga really really excited to talk about it on the podcast so come back next week for that we are attempting and i'm very very hard on the attempting word there trying to uh, announce next week's one at the end of yeah, each Yeah, which is why we did this today. Yes. Um, so thank you so much for listening. It is always a pleasure to come here and do this for you. Um, if you'd like to have a look at some of our shorts, we put them out on YouTube and TikTok, Comic Literate Podcast on both. Um, you can send us an email, comicliterate at gmail.com and leave us a review. Five stars only, baby, wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you so much uh, for listening. If you goodbye. can make it, as long as they are funny and insulting to us as human beings... We will read them out. Absolutely. 100%. If you insult us and nobody else, yep. we will read it out. Absolutely. But thank you so much for listening and good night. Thank you. Goodbye.